south of the border, down Mexico way. That's where I fell in love when the stars above came out to play. And now as I wander. Hello there, all you expat wannabes. I'm Johnny Mueller, and you're listening to The Expat Files, Living in Latin America, the show that tells you just what it's like to live, work, play, and or retire down here in Latin America. It's a mix of the good, the bad, the ugly, and the great, and it's all right here, so let's get started. All right, we're live, kind of. You know, a couple of shows ago, we were talking about how cars get stolen more and more these days, even though you'd think car companies would have developed lots of countermeasures. To foil bad guys and no good nicks. Instead, they did just the opposite. They came up with these key fob things that even mediocre hackers can penetrate. You could buy the equipment right on Amazon, and there's YouTube videos to show you how to do it. You know, capture the signal and clone it. Anyway, I mentioned that I never have that problem. I never worry about getting my car stolen. Because I always install an ignition or starter cutoff switch. A hidden little switch placed somewhere near the driver's seat. Now, after I mentioned it on that previous show, I got lots of people asking me for the diagram how to do that. And lots of people saying, but my car's still under warranty. That could void my warranty. Anytime you screw around with the wiring, the dealer can tell you they're not going to pay for any kind of warranty repairs. Now, that's a good point and something I never mentioned in the previous show, but probably should have. Turns out with the last couple of cars I've had, they were still under warranty. You know, they have five and even seven-year warranties these days, right? And believe it or not, here in Latin America, they have to honor them. I'm proof of that because I had a big warranty repair with one of my cars a while back in its fifth year of the warranty. Just a couple of months left to go, too. I had my doubts. I never thought they'd do it. And the dealer fixed it. They honored the five-year warranty, reluctantly, of course, but they did it. So anyway, here's the other half of the story. A way to install a kill switch without voiding your warranty. A way to do it without cutting any wires. Therefore, if you ever have to take it in for a warranty repair, you can just disconnect the kill switch, plug in the old fuse again, and everything's back to normal, just like it was originally. And that'll only take you about five minutes or less. What I've discovered anyway in the last five years or so, Amazon has a little kit you can buy that allows you to pull out any fuse in your fuse box. It allows you to monitor that fuse port with an analyzer or meter. It also allows us, that is you and me, to set up a kill switch without cutting any wires. It's very cool and very fast. You just plug in the extension adapter from Amazon after you've attached the inline fuse and switch, and you're there. And if you ever want to revert back to the original stock setup, You know, exactly like it was before, you set up the cutoff switch. You just pull out the little fuse extension adapter and plug back in the original fuse into its normal socket. And no one will ever be the wiser. Now, if all that seems confusing to you, send me an email, thexpetfiles at gmail.com, and I'll send you exactly the Amazon links and a picture of that little system, assembled exactly as it should be used. And you know, I have to say, whoever thought of producing a product like that, my hat's off to you. It does make the job a hell of a lot easier. Because after all, it's not very comfortable laying on your back on the floorboards, looking up under the dash, fishing around in the fuse box where there's not much light at all. Oh, and while you're on Amazon, I highly recommend you order an LED headlamp. Those things are invaluable for doing that kind of work where there's no light. The newer ones are very light and rechargeable, and the charge lasts at least six or eight hours. Just shove it in your junk drawer. Keep it charged. 
you'll find it's very handy. You'll use it a lot. Just 10 or 15 bucks. Get one. Oh, and by the way, for those of you who send me emails saying, Johnny, but there's two fuse boxes in my car. One under the dash and one under the hood. Which one has the fuse in it that I'm supposed to interrupt? Well, just look under the lid of the top of the fuse box. There's always a little diagram of fuses. And the fuse you want to pull out and bypass will be the one labeled IGN, which means ignition, or starter, S-T-R. Personally, I always go for the one that says ignition, IGN, first, because it's a small, usually 5 to 15 amp fuse. Whereas the fuse for the starter might not be so small and might be big and bulky could be a much heftier 30-amp fuse, since it carries a lot more current. So my advice, use the smaller one of the two, the one with the lowest amperage. Anyway, just send me an email, thexpetfiles at gmail.com, and I'll send you the Amazon links and a picture exactly what it's supposed to look like. Speaking of listener feedback from previous shows, I got an email here from Dr. M. Commenting on that bit I did a couple shows ago about how the covid lockdowns and such threw a wrench into the medical and dental education system. In that previous Expat Files show, we illustrated a cautionary tale, why you should be quite leery when selecting a young dentist or MD, or anyone who's graduated in the medical field in the last four years. So, in reply, this is what Dr. M writes. She says, and I'll paraphrase this a bit, it was a great show as always, John. The nurse that you quoted was right about the COVID years being really wasted for recently graduated medical students in Guatemala and Latin America. However, in my opinion, COVID also wasted the years of students in many other different schools around the world, not just in Guatemala or Latin America. She says dental schools in the U.S., for example, in the COVID years, graduated students without them completing all the requirements to get a diploma, yet they still graduated them. In other words, if you had so many specific dental procedures and requirements, such as root canals or fillings, whatever, to graduate, and you didn't complete the allotted requirements, they would still graduate you. After all, you paid the money and COVID was nobody's fault. They even eliminated the board exams that involved doing procedures on real patients. And that has never happened before. Then she says, as far as medical schools, did you know that when 80% of primary care doctors were polled in the U.S., they said they'd wish they hadn't gone to medical school at all? 80%, isn't that a crazy number? In other words, they don't like their jobs. Why would the supposedly smartest and brightest people be thinking that? They regret going to medical schools because they are so overworked by employers, such as hospitals or large medical groups. They're on their own kind of treadmill. They're spending so much time on the computers trying to get the insurance company to pay for the services, and they suffer because they don't have the autonomy to dictate how the patient should be treated. Not to mention they are limited as to how much face time they can have with their patients. All right, me, Johnny, here. You know, I have some physicians and dentists in my family. They bitch about that very same thing all the time, but there's nothing they can do about it. In fact, One of the MDs in my family says he's only spending something like six to 10 minutes with his patients in any kind of exam. And man, I tell you, that's a world of difference from the way doctors treat you down here in Latin America. Down here, I can recall many times a doctor spent a half hour, an hour, even more just sitting with me going through all kinds of healthcare stuff. Of course, a lot of shooting the breeze too. 
Now, you can certainly chalk a lot of that off to the gringo advantage because docs just do not have many gringo patients here. And when you're off the gringo tourist day, oh, wow, you might be the only gringo the doctor has seen in an entire week of patients. And since most of them speak some English and don't get a chance to use it, when a gringo patient comes in, man, it's old home week. One thing I've noticed is that since doctors here in Latin America are in the upper middle class socioeconomically, almost all of them have been to the States, whether it's shopping, vacation, or seminars, or just plain going to Disney World. Man, are Latinos obsessed with Disney World. I'll tell you, Latinos think when they die and go to heaven, it won't be St. Peter at the Pearly Gates. It'll be Minnie, Goofy, and Mickey, and it won't be Pearly Gates. It'll be the Magic Kingdom. Yeah, that's right. Every upper middle class Latino I've ever met has been to Disney World. Some like doctors and their families over and over again. And you know, you just go into any Latino's house. Doesn't have to be an upscale house, could be dirt poor. There'll be Disney paraphernalia somewhere in that house. Disney clothes, cups, knapsacks, ashtrays. I remember when I first came down to Latin America 30 plus years ago, visiting an MD or a dentist, they had Disney paraphernalia in the waiting room. I was so impressed, I wanted to gag. I know, I know. To us, it's ridiculous. Who wants to hear about someone's trip to Disney World? Please, get a life, huh? But you grin and bear it. What can you say when your doc's bragging about his latest Disney trip while he's got his finger up one of your orifices? Anyway, the point is, here in Latin America, doctors will spend an ungodly amount of time with you during an appointment. Though they never see you on time, they're always late, that's the universal doctor problem. When they see you, they never rush. And when you walk out to the front desk and get the bill, and it's only something like 30 bucks, or five or seven or zero if you've got insurance, you can hardly believe it. Oh, and about insurance. I know all of you guys and gals up in the States are used to the fact that when you walk into a physician or dentist's office, there's a whole team of ladies there behind a stack of giant file cabinets and 10 computers just to sort out insurance coverages and claims. I know my sister up in Chicago has got at least six auxiliary ladies working for her doing that kind of stuff. Actually, five ladies and a gay guy. Anyway, it's not like that at all here in Latin America. Here, for example, let's say you go and see a gastroenterologist and you've got insurance. You walk in, you hand the receptionist your insurance card and your passport or cedula. She gets a hold of the insurance company Right then and there, she phones him up or gets him on WhatsApp, takes a snapshot of your insurance card, and within a few minutes, she's got the authorization that your insurance is all paid up. That's it. That's all she needs to know, that you've got your premiums paid up. <laughs> you go in, get your appointment, come out, give the receptionist your copay or whatever, zero, five, or seven bucks, and you're out of there. Now, suppose your doc says they want an upper GI. Well, you have to get that pre-authorized, right? That's how insurance companies work. But down here in Latin America, it's quite a bit different and more streamlined. The docs don't have a staff doing that for you. Not at all like up in the States. Here's how it usually works down here. Seems like every hospital, or major hospital that is, has a couple little insurance desks right on the main floor. Let's say in your Latin American country, they've got five or six main insurance companies you could choose from. Let's say you're covered by one of those companies called... Seguros Universales. You just go to one of the big hospitals closest to your house, or maybe your doctor's office is adjacent to one of the big hospitals. That's often the case. Often there's a whole suite of doctors in a section or a floor in a big hospital. So anyway, you ask the receptionist, where's the desk for Seguros Universales? You head over there, 
there's usually a couple of chairs in front of the office. You sit down, take a number. Oftentimes, they take you right away. You walk right in. Give them your insurance card, your passport, or your cellula, and the doctor's order. For in this particular case, an upper GI. You sit around for 10 minutes, have a cup of coffee, whatever. They process your stuff, give you an authorization form. You just sign on the dotted line just once. No more forms or info necessary. And now you're good to go. You don't even have to bring the info or any of it back to your doctor. You just communicate back and forth with your doctor's receptionist, set up the appointment, go to the designated clinic or hospital, get that upper GI done, and hopefully it'll be okay. By the way, if it's an emergency situation, you don't have to get it pre-authorized. You just go to the emergency room and they'll do it all there for you. So are you getting the differences here? Doctors don't have a staff of six or 10 people running around with their heads cut off, fighting it out with insurance companies, trying to get paid for procedures and pre-authorizations, etc. Believe it or not, down here in Latin America, when it comes to health insurance, there's not much bureaucracy at all. It's pretty streamlined. Sort of like it was back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s up in the States, before patients, doctors, and big pharma figured out how to game the system. They've all got their ways, you know. But back to Dr. M's email. She says, Johnny, doctors in the United States are no longer able to put up a shingle and work for themselves. In the past, yes, but these days, no way. They are now pretty much forced to be employees of a clinic or hospital. Plus, she says the worst part of it is that most new graduates have close to a half million dollars of educational debt. Elsewhere in the world, you never graduate with that kind of debt. In most of the world, you go to dental or medical school right after high school because high schools, at least in Europe, are institutions of real learning that teach math, physics, chemistry, biology, two foreign languages, and social studies every year. Not just one year, every year. She says, I've often wondered, why does a prospective MD need physics or calculus to enter medical school? Hmm, Dr. M. Just a little rebuttal here from me, Johnny. You know, Doc, I took a ton of calculus and physics. All that's required for an engineering degree, you know. And if you look into any hospital, OR, or laboratory, they're just loaded balls to the wall with sophisticated machines. Do you ever look at the control panel of a CAT scanner or tomography machine? Looks like mission control for a moonshot. So I'd say calculus, probably not. But physics, I'd say, is a good thing as a prerequisite for a medical and dental school. Because, you know, physics really does teach you a lot about the real world. Mass, volume, trajectory, velocity, momentum, friction, cryogenics, thermodynamics. Just saying. Anyway, she goes on to say, Johnny, today admissions offices want medical and dental school graduates to have even master's degrees to be admitted. Some admissions offices even put importance on if you volunteered to draw blood at clinics or did weekend charity work at a soup kitchen, etc. Is it really necessary to have to show that you've read to the blind or did a mission to Haiti to help you get into medical school? Then she says, of course, there's nepotism. It's all over the world and in every profession. And I wouldn't consider that a hindrance to someone's ability. Chances are Bright child had bright parents. There is that genetic component. Bright parents generally instill good habits in their kids, too. The other factor, she says, is that in most of the world, parents take care of their kids much longer than we do in the States. It's not babying them. It's the fact that the frontal cortex of a human doesn't develop completely until we are in our mid-20s. Hmm, yeah, I guess it's 26 for men and 22 for women. 
Yep, it's me, Johnny, here, button in again. Which is why neurologists will tell you women almost always prefer a guy who's a little older. It's not just about money, it's because it takes them longer to mature. No girl wants to end up with a man-boy. Though, if he's tall, dark, and handsome, they often end up marrying him anyway. And live to regret it. But I digress as usual. Anyway, Dr. M says, Johnny, most of the world takes care of their kids longer than we do in the U.S. It is not babying them. It's the fact that the frontal cortex doesn't develop till we are in our mid-20s and are having a mature adult to help you navigate life is not detrimental to a child's development. Those children will eventually move out and get on with their lives and not live in the basement. To top it off, most medical schools in the world are six-year programs, and students who attend them get more exposure to real medicine, whereas U.S. dental and medical schools are four-year programs. In foreign programs, they're allowed to assist in surgeries, which would never happen in the U.S. with this litigious society. Hmm, did I say that right? There's a 50-50 chance I say the word litigious correctly. I do have trouble with that word and others too. (laughs) Anyway, Dr. M goes on to say, not to mention this left-leaning nonsense that has permeated our schools. She's talking wokeness, of course. Imagine having to do a pretend pelvic exam on a man in a dress. Don't laugh, it's come to that. And you'd better not snicker. And finally, she says, Johnny... By the way, being a doctor myself, I will tell you that engineers are smarter than doctors. (laughs) She says, all the best, John. Please don't use my real name. By the way, Dr. M is a doc in the U.S., though she was born in Europe and emigrated, so she knows the system on both sides of the pond. Now, one thing I'd like to add is that here in Latin America, and I guess in Europe and Asia too, you don't take school loans out to go to medical school. For one thing, universities don't cost a tenth as much as in the U.S. Even the best, most exclusive medical and dental schools only cost four or five thousand bucks a year, whereas up in the States, ten times as much. But you knew that already, right? Because I mentioned it in a show probably five or six years ago now. And you were paying attention, weren't you? By the way, as this show first goes out on January 21st, that's a Sunday, that means you have a little over a week to take advantage of the early bird discounts for my March Expat Insider Seminar. If you sign up early, you'll save 500 bucks over the regular pricing, which goes back into effect on February 1st, 2024. You could check out the agenda, the itinerary, all the details for my week-long March 2024 seminar. Just go to expatplanb.com and click on the seminar link. Moving on, in keeping with the ugly, you know, we talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, and the great. Let's talk about some ugly. Here's a little article that just came out that made me sick. And as usual, I'll paraphrase and cut out the boring parts. It's entitled, A Secret Look Inside the World of Ultra-Wealthy Latinos Who Own Exotic Pets. It starts out, Amelia is a two-year-old spider monkey who wears jeans, crop tops, and Armani perfume. Yep, that's right, Armani perfume. She's a popular TikToker. And her TikTok account documents her busy life. Trips to the spa, the gym, and church. Yeah, she goes to church. As well as elaborate birthday parties for other pet monkeys in the neighborhood. Where she can be seen cavorting with other monkey friends in an inflatable bounce house. Smashing her face into her favorite meal, carrot cake. Listen, this is real. This is not a joke. The article goes on, it's illegal in Mexico to own spider monkeys, which are critically endangered and trafficked from jungles in the country's south at the Guatemalan border. But since there are no monkey police, that hasn't stopped people from the northern city of 
Culiacan, home to one of the world's most powerful drug cartels and known for ostentatious displays of wealth, to have endangered spider monkeys as pets. According to Zumala Alea, a 34-year-old florist who was gifted Emilia two years ago, she says so many people here have them. Spider monkeys, that is. It's all the fashion. It's like having a Rolex. It says, I have the money to own and support a monkey. The article goes on to say primates aren't the only exotic animals popular here. At private homes and ranches in Culiacan and the rest of Mexico, it's not uncommon for people to keep lions, tigers, and yes, even bears. The problem is, though, when the owners get tired of them. It says the practice began decades ago in Mexico as local narcos sought to emulate Colombian drug lords like Pablo Escobar, who famously stocked his private zoos with giraffes, elephants, and now unwieldy populations of hippos who have multiplied, causing great environmental damage. And now it says wealthy Mexicanos of all stripes show their wealth not by owning Ferraris, but by owning exotic animals and exotic animal zoos. It says in certain parts of the country, you'll see owners walking tigers on leashes down city streets, parading them around in the backs of luxury cars and beds of luxury pickups too. It says in certain cities, socialites have even formed private monkey clubs gathering for extravagant Christmas parties and pool parties. Social media has made it even worse, with the internet fueling the TikTok phenomena with influencers showing off their exotic pets. Social media makes it easier than ever to acquire a monkey or any exotic animal that you wish, illegal or not. A quick search of Facebook turns up local vendors selling lion cubs, Pumas, lemurs, and rare white tiger cubs, too. It says, according to veterinarian Rory Quintero, exotic animal specialist, he has patients including Amelia, the spider monkey, and others. His phone often rings off the hook from anxious pet owners who don't know what to do when their exotic pets get sick. He's got many strange stories, he says. For example, one day he treated a monkey that accidentally consumed fentanyl. He managed to save it, though. He says he's helped other owners track down big cats like tigers who've escaped. At times, the veterinarian finds himself high in the sky in a helicopter or prop plane alongside a 300-pound sedated tiger. The vet, Dr. Quintero, makes a practice, he says, of never asking his clients what they do for a living. After having been threatened with death several times after being a little bit too inquisitive, also admitting he was once threatened with death when he was unable to save a monkey that died after consuming a certain toxic powder. Hmm, wonder what that was. Turns out the day the vet was interviewed for this very article, he was checking up on several patients, including a four-year-old spider monkey named Elisa, who had been hit by a car after escaping from her owner's home. The vet had performed a complicated reconstructive surgery on the monkey's hand, and she was slowly healing. The article explains that wealthy rulers throughout history, from Carlos III of Spain to Montezuma, the ruler of the Aztec Empire, have kept zoos and menageries. <laughs> so did nutcases like Michael Jackson. However, it says today's narcos are not influenced by past kings, but more films like Scarface, the gangster flick whose protagonist, Tony Montana, famously kept a tiger as a pet. But it's just another day of rounds on Dr. Quintero's schedule. Next stop, a sprawling personal zoo and animal sanctuary on the outskirts of Cuyacan, where he has to treat a tiger. The animal had survived a gunfight, had bullet and battle scars on its face and shoulder. In a skirmish, the tiger had been shot two or three times. The article says Mexico is rife with stories and songs written about exotic narco pets. 
As far as the recent federal indictment of the accused sons of El Chapo, it's in the court record of them feeding their enemies to their hungry tigers. There are so many narco animal stories. For example, last year, the spider monkey found dead in a cartel shootout in Mexico was dressed in a tiny custom-made diamond-studded bulletproof vest, but it didn't help. Of course, you may have heard about the songs called Corridos, ballads written by famous Latino singers glorifying a particular narco's life or his deeds. Well, that fallen monkey in the bulletproof vest has had more than a few corrido ballads written about him, paid for by his grieving pot-bellied narco owner. So, in a new twist, exotic narco animals have become all the rage, along with other narco faddish customs like narco clothing fashions to narco slang and car accessories. Turns out the new generation of drug ballads that are topping national charts now often mention favorite exotic animals too. Meanwhile, as cartel wealthy men gravitate towards tigers and lions, their female narco counterparts tend to collect spider monkeys, many who've become influencers along with their pampered primates on TikTok for all to see. Top social media animal stars include a monkey named Kira Sofia, who appears in music videos with over 25,000 followers on TikTok. A clip of her lavish first birthday party featuring a live band and a procession of horses was viewed more than two million times. Ladies dress their monkeys in brand name clothing. Give them real gold and diamond chains. iPhones, earrings, manicures and pedicures. Hair extensions and watches. But it says behind the scenes having a monkey is a lot of work. So most monkey-owning narcos have a handler, a monkey nanny. Just ask Amelia's owner. Her owner, Alaya, has retrofitted her elegant home with monkey bars and ropes to keep Amelia from swinging on the television or ceiling fans. Occasionally, monkeys get violent. Recently, the monkey took a bite out of her teenage son's chest. Worse yet, Alaya changes Amelia's diapers eight times a day. And since monkeys aren't the most hygienic of creatures, Alaya gives Amelia a warm bath almost every day, followed by a blow dry and a spritz of Armani perfume. Pathetic, huh? Meanwhile, in news you don't hear much about up in the first world, did you know that the famous director from Mexico, you know, some Mexican directors have made it big in Hollywood, like a guy named Guillermo del Toro. Now, you may not recognize his name, but you'll recognize his movies, Hellboy, Pan's Labyrinth, The Hobbit movies, Crimson Peak, Nightmare Alley, and lots of sucky ones like Pinocchio and The Shape of Water. Anyway, this guy's a big Hollywood director originally from Mexico. Did you know that a while back, Narcos in Guadalajara, Mexico, kidnapped his father and asked for a million dollars ransom? He didn't have the million bucks at the time, so his buddy, James Cameron, you know, the director of Avatar, Titanic, and Terminator, he lent him the million bucks. Yep, he paid the ransom and got his dad back. The other half of the story, it's been told his dad used to shoot his mouth off in Mexico about how his son was now a famous, rich director in Hollywood. In other words, in typical Latin style, he just put on the dog way too much. See how far that got him? The moral of that story? I think you know the moral of that story. You've been listening to The Expat Files, living in Latin America. If you need some help with your own Plan B, we can schedule a one-on-one phone or Skype consult. Just send me an email, theexpatfiles at gmail.com. And if you want to get on the waiting list for my next week-long expat insider seminar in Central America, where you're guaranteed to get a two- to five-year head start on your Plan B, 
Send me an email, the expatfiles at gmail.com. Nos vemos. <laughs>